Well, good afternoon, everybody. First, I want to say happy birthday to our daughter, Anna. Anna is a journalist, reporter, and uh, we're very proud of her as we all are proud of uh, all our children. Continuing our minor league baseball uh, tradition, uh, I'm wearing, excuse me, <coughs> wearing a pen from the uh, Toledo Mud Hens. Uh, their opening day should have been yesterday. And uh, I'm wearing a tie from the Akron Rubber Ducks. Uh, their opener was supposed to be today. Uh, they are actually having a virtual home opening. And you can watch that at 7 o'clock tonight, the virtual opening, uh, on their the Akron Rubber Ducks um, YouTube channel. very important everyone watch that because I'm throwing out the first pitch. So it's a, as I say, it's a virtual game. Um, they are playing the Rumble Ponies. And uh, I'm told that you'll be able to see not only uh, my, my pitch, uh, but you'll hear the national anthem. Uh, there'll actually be a virtual game played. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But uh, anyway, it should be fun. And I suspect there may even be some arguing with an umpire. So who knows? Tune in. Ohio has uh, played a central role uh, in the history of flight. From the Wright brothers who invented flight to astronauts Neil Armstrong, John Glenn, and many more. Uh, there's certainly another part of Ohio's aviation chapter. Uh, on this day in 1964, Columbus resident, Newark native, Jerry Mock, landed at Port Columbus Airport. She was ending her history-making flight as the first woman to fly solo around the world. Uh, Jerry was, in many ways, an unlikely hero, whose tenacity and her courage propelled her to accomplish this historic achievement. The tiny two-passenger Cessna 180 uh, plane that she flew, which she named the Spirit of Columbus, is now hoisted high above in the Smithsonian Institute uh, in Washington, D.C. But the legacy of her flight remains deeply rooted here in Ohio. In 2013, the Columbus Foundation created the Spirit of Columbus Award to honor Jerry Mock and her great achievement. The award recognizes those who, exhibit, those who exhibit exemplary community spirit through their own efforts and through their accomplishments. This year's recipient of the Spirit of Columbus Award is going to someone who has shown extraordinary compassion, commitment, and courage during the unprecedented challenge of the coronavirus pandemic. Let's take a look now and watch the video.
Accomplishment. Risk-taking. Commitment. Empathy. Character. Fortitude. Vision. Determination. Humility. With those qualities in mind, we are happy to announce to you the 2020 Spirit of Columbus Award winner, Dr. Amy Acton. 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 Dr. Acton, congratulations. That is uh, absolutely fantastic, um, well-deserved, and uh, we congratulate you, and we <laughs> congratulate all our first responders and healthcare workers who are out there making a difference right now uh, at, this, at this very, very moment. And so we're delighted, uh, delighted to Thank you. see that you won the award. That is absolutely fantastic. Let me uh, start by kind of following up a little bit from yesterday. Uh, and my, my did a radio interview uh, a little while ago with uh, Bill Cunningham, WLW, and uh, he said he started getting calls after the press conference, and he said some people said the state was going to be wide open uh, on May 1, and some people said, oh, Nothing's going to change on, on, on May 1. And he wanted to know, you know, which was the truth. And I said, well, a um, little, bit, little bit in between, I guess. So let me kind of uh, maybe try to recap a little bit. But I thought the way I would do it today is we, as we look um, towards where we're going. And by the way, we're not going to be here tomorrow. And we're not going to be here Sunday unless something comes up, Saturday or Sunday. Um, we will be working on the plan uh, and kind of how we explain the plan. And next week we'll be starting to, uh, in different days, talk about how that plan is actually going to going to work. But I thought today it might be a little talk, a little aspirational, what we hope uh, this plan is going to be. But I think it's always good to get back to basics, uh, get back to what the basic principles are and what we're trying to achieve. Uh, we're trying to get Ohioans uh, back to work. Uh, at the same time, we're trying to protect Ohioans. Uh, we do not think those are mutually inconsistent. Uh, we think that because what you have done, you've flattened this curve, um, you've stayed home, done all the things that uh, we needed to do, uh, we're now in a much better position. And, and now it's, it's, we're going to have to slowly do this, but now we're ready to move into the next into the next phase. Um, I think as we talk about businesses opening, and this is going to be sequential, it's going to be over a period of time, but as we talk about these businesses that are going to open, you know, what are the goals? Uh, and the goals are kind of common sense and pretty easy to state. Protect employees and those businesses that are open to the public, that are retail, protect the customers, uh, protect those who are, who are coming in. So that's it. I mean, that's everything kind of flows from there. Um, I, I think we're in a situation where also protecting people, protecting customers, and protecting 
workers uh, is also good business. Um, because quite candidly, uh, the market uh, forces uh, is equally important, probably more so than the any orders that state government uh, or that I might put out or Dr. Atkin might, might put out. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, no company is going to be able to attract employees if they don't think it's safe for them to work there. Employees are going to have to think it's safe every day. Uh, and the same is true with customers. You're not going to go to a place uh, as a consumer, uh, a retail place, if you think that you're not safe there, uh, if you think they're not following the social the distancing that we've talked about, uh, or if they're packed in so much that you're being rubbing up against others. So a lot of this is just common sense, uh, and it's, it's good business, and it's taking what we have learned so far um, and taking those best practices and putting them in, into effect. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about what you might see if you go, would go into a retail business, or what you would see if you would go into a manufacturing company. Uh, that would be opened uh, after after May 1st, or what we hope you would see in those essential businesses that are open now. Um, distancing. There's no substitute for distance. Uh, the six foot is the norm. Uh, obviously, more distancing is is always is always better. Um, I would expect to see people working there wearing a mask. Uh, I think this is going to become very common, and we want it to be very common in public places. Um, you go into a business. Um, you're going to see barriers where barriers are appropriate. I told you about uh, a, a friend of mine at a manufacturing company. He's, he's put some barriers uh, to protect, protect people uh, where, that was, where that was necessary, where they couldn't achieve what they needed to achieve. Um, in protection uh, another way. Um, you're going to see surfaces uh, sanitized, clean, uh, quite, quite frequently. Uh, you may see employees probably wearing gloves. Um, ample opportunity for the employees, ample opportunity if it's retail and you have customers for them to, to wash their hands, uh, to sanitize their hands. Um, staggered arrivals for employees. Uh, would be something you might see. Staggered lunch, uh, where not everybody is gathered together. Um, employees who can work from home will work from home. Uh, those who can't won't, but those who could will continue to do that or will do that. Uh, you're going to see checking of the employees when they come in, the, the temperature of employees. Making sure the employee is 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 not in fact sick, and if someone's sick, they obviously go home. Um, retail, but also in in the wholesale operations or where you're don't aren't meeting the public. Again, space is a key. Uh, so in retail, you would expect to see a, a limit to the number of people allowed in a store, in a place of business, uh, and again, that will vary by by place to place. Um, so these are all just some of the things that we would expect to see. John's going to talk a little bit more in a moment about where we're going, but we're encouraging 
each industry, each group of businessmen and women uh, who have different companies, different type businesses, to get the come together, get the best practices. Um, very, very important. After May 1st, things have, will change some, but the essential reality of the fact that this virus will remain out there. And so our life has to be guided by that. And one of the things that we want to do uh, is to make sure that every individual, and we'll be talking about this in the future, has as much information about their own condition uh, and what risks there are um, as humanly possible. So it's one of the reasons we do this every day. Uh, it's one of the reasons that the media has covered this so extensively and so very, very well uh, that people can calculate some of their own risks. Uh, openness um, is important. Uh, testing. Uh, we're going to see testing that's going to evolve, but where people are going to be able to determine over a period of time, it's not going to be done overnight, but, you know, what, whether or not they may have had this uh, when they had no idea that, that, that they had it. Um, as we move forward into this uh, world, some things, as I said, do not change. Uh, one of them is that we have to assume that everyone we meet um, is carrying the virus. Uh, because many people are walking around among us and don't know they're carrying the virus. Um, in the conference call I had this morning uh, with a prison director, um, and this is anecdotal, but it kind of tells you something. Uh, we're doing some testing. We're doing a lot of testing um, in our prisons. Now, there's one dorm. Um, 152 people tested positive. We're doing extensive testing. Um, of that 152, I'm told 60 of them had no symptoms. 60 had no symptoms. Again, it's not scientific, not big enough numbers to come up with the, the fact that we can't say that 39% of the population, you know, 39% of the people who have a, a don't have any symptoms. We can't say that. But it sort of tells you that we have to, why we have to assume that everyone that is out there uh, is in fact positive uh, because many, many times they, won't, they will not know that. In some cases, uh, it, it would appear they will never really know that until they actually have, have a test. Uh, we have a chart I know that uh, Dr. Acton is going to talk about and uh, Lieutenant Governor is going to talk about. You can put That's that right. one. Remember this side. Up there. Oh, I got it. Okay. There we go. The path forward to restart. Uh, and it's really what we want to do. Public health measures and compliance uh, is an essential part of that. Uh, we've got to protect the most vulnerable. We talked about that yesterday. And then business operating safety safely with safeguards. And that's pretty much what I have been talking about and giving, giving some examples about that. But both of them will talk a little bit more about, about this. I am uh, today um, <clears throat> granting uh, seven uh, 
commutations to prisoners. Uh, I am denying uh, 84. Uh, we get, uh, to put this in, in some perspective, uh, we get hundreds uh, of requests coming directly out of, out of prison. Um, and many of them uh, are from people uh, who are in for some very, very, very serious offenses. Uh, so the, the seven uh, that we are granting, uh, that number is going to be shared with the news media uh, during this press conference. Um, let me conclude with we had questions about um, how do we conform or how do we look. You know, when we did this press conference, we did it at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, we had a conference with with the president, then at six o'clock, the president had his public uh, conference and rolled out uh, their plan. Uh, and let me just say, I think it's a good it's a good plan. Uh, the, the president uh, did uh, say, uh, and I think he's right, that every state's going to be different. Uh, every state is going to have to do this differently. Um, we have uh, set up a couple different groups uh, of governors. Uh, we're in a group, uh, kind of self-defined group with Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio, Governor Holcomb, Governor Bashir, uh, and I talk a lot. And um, so this is a group that we're kind of comparing notes and our departments are comparing notes as we go forward. Uh, we are also in another group uh, of, of, of mostly Great Lakes states, uh, I guess with the exception of, of, of Kentucky, uh, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, and, and, and Ohio. And again, we have a lot in common uh, with those states. Uh, but as, as the President indicated, ultimately, every state uh, has got to fashion a plan uh, for the people of that state. And so as we reach out to people, uh, and as we put the different groups together uh, as we move forward, uh, I can just assure you that Ohio's plan is going to be by Ohioans for Ohioans because of the fact that we need to we need to recognize the uniqueness of the state of Ohio. At the same time, as we reach out uh, to our friends in other states and try to get as much good information as we can and share uh, what we hope are good ideas. So, uh, Lieutenant Governor, thank you very much, Governor. Um, good afternoon. I know that, um, as the governor has asked me to do, I have been spending a lot of time talking with business officials, businesses, big and small health officials, uh, everybody, that, every thoughtful person that we can bring in in the time we have to talk about the restart and, and May 1 and some of the things that people can expect. Um, there will be more specific details coming uh, in the days ahead, uh, as we discussed, this will come in phases. There will be business practices that everybody will be expected to implement. But let me just say that inclusiveness is very inefficient. Uh, when you're trying to get everybody involved who deserves to have a voice in this, you get a lot of information. And you got to figure out how to, to move that information into an actionable plan. And we have the Economic Advisory Group which is reaching out and trying to be inclusive. We have health officials that Dr. Acton and many others are engaging in this conversation. We have businesses who are big, 
who have certain capacities and needs, and we have businesses that are small that we also need to hear from as it relates to making these decisions. We have sectors, manufacturing, retail, uh, restaurants, all have unique situations that they need to confront, and there are unique health applications that need to be put in place to, to put them together. And then we always have in, in our great state the regional differences about what somebody in Cincinnati will think bordering two other states versus Toledo versus Cleveland. And, and you have all of these different kinds of issues that need to go into the mix to develop the strategy. And, and, it will, uh, and it's being developed and it will be unveiled in more greater specificity as we go through next week. Because we know that we can't have a plan on May 1 that we wait until May 1 to deliver. We're going to make sure that people have this information uh, in advance. Um, we have, um, additionally, we want to make sure that when this occurs that, that it's clear to business what their role is, it's clear to employees what both their business, the business owner, and they are expected to do. We want that uh, also for their customers. Uh, want everybody to be able to understand it and feel confident in it. And the governor alluded this, alluded to this chart a little earlier. And and Dr. Acton and I actually had a really thoughtful conversation about this before we came in. Um, you know what it is. So we talk about restart, but these are the voices that we're really trying to make sure get to this point. Because that's the safe place that we want to go. That's the place that we can have confidence that everybody's input uh, is included in this. And, you know, it's, it's built out of fear. Because you talk to everybody, and I know that, that, that Dr. Acton in the health community feels a great sense of responsibility to make sure that this is done right, the public health measures and compliance. That, that's their job. They, 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 and, and those are really important things for everyone to know. But we also know that businesses have a great deal of fear as well, that many of them are worried that they're going to go out of business. They're worried about how they're going to, to really survive this pandemic from an economic point of view. And we need to understand every one of those issues as well, and then obviously the vulnerable populations. Uh, I can tell you this. You, you don't have a governor who is more con uh, concerned about you. There's no one in the country that's more concerned about you than Mike DeWine. And, uh, and, and, and we're trying to put this all together so that we get to that place that everybody can have confidence in, that voices are heard, that we get there, uh, and, and that Ohioans can feel comfortable that when May 1 comes that, that we're going to have uh, the most thoughtful restart we can possibly have. Uh, I, I've heard this said a number of times in the conversations that we've been in over the last few days is that Coronavirus is going to be with us for a while, and we need to learn with it, or we need to live with it safely. Uh, businesses, employees, and their customers, they need to know that there's a safe strategy. The public, the responsibilities that the young have to the old and vulnerable, all of these things, there are more strategies now. We know more about it than we did when this started. And so we can build confidence in knowledge and the resulting strategies that come with that knowledge. Uh, I will say, though, whether it's April the 17th, May the 1st, or June the 1st, government order or not, that coronavirus is just as dangerous as it's ever been. And uh, 
what we believe that we have, though, now is the knowledge from public officials, the safe operating practice for business, the understanding as a society and a culture that we, that we know how to protect the lives of the vulnerable and what everybody's responsibility is in this. And, and that's the goal. That's the goal where we'll end up being. And we do want to find that balance between lives and livelihoods. That's our mission. Uh, the governor has called us, called a great team together to work on this, and we look forward to the opportunity to deliver this to the, to the people of Ohio in the coming days. Governor? Dr. Acton. Thank you, Governor. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I would- Congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, um, I think I'll, I'll address this incredible honor. I'll, I'll share our numbers first, and then I do have a few words I'd like to say. Um, in receiving this really incredible honor. Um, so just to, for our media friends out there, I do want to share that we do have 9,107 cases um, in the state of Ohio. And um, we've learned of 693 new cases in the last 24 hours. Um, and, you know, we know that, do not be surprised, as we, as we extend our testing, we know we've only tested a fraction of the cases that are actually out there. And as that testing gets a little more extensive with each day, we'll start to see some of those numbers go up, and that's why we will keep watching our trends. Um, we do have 87 out of 88 counties at this point with cases, um, and we have 418 uh, deaths in Ohio since this began, um, knowing again that that's probably an undercount. We did get 29 new cases in the last 24 hours. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if we have more. Eric, do we have? Um, again, interestingly, we are now completely equal at males and females. Our age range now, note this, from less than one to 106. Um, in terms of cases, with a mean age of 54. And we still, because of who we're testing, are seeing uh, a lot of folks that are in healthcare and also folks associated with nursing homes. Um, so I, I just need to, uh, good thing always I get a few, I noticed that they conveniently put a little box of tissues, Governor, by my, uh, that aren't usually here, so it takes me a little bit to compose myself and they gave me a grace period here. Uh, I, I just want to say uh, to everyone out there, um, thank you very, very much for this honor. I, um, I don't think you ever feel worthy. It made me wonder if the, ever the people who you saw in that video sometimes had that feeling of, I'm just living my life, and these sort of things just happen. And I know there are a lot of young people out there watching this. So I want to tell a few things that link this through together having kind of composed these thoughts now, <laughs> spontaneously. Um, first of all, to my colleagues at the Columbus Foundation who I've known um, in the past and, and, and were mentors for me, um, and the people that you saw, a lot of the folks you saw in the video are the people that I look to that are really role models for me and that I've been inspired by, and not the least of which is Jerry. I do have a Spirit of Columbus uh, airplane in my office, a little model of it, and 
And I remember thinking her story, I mean, here she is, this mom, she's going around the world, and for all of the, us out there who are having these seemingly sloppy lives where we're just trying to do the best we can at whatever we're doing at the time, um, how they all comes together into a story is, is really, uh, you know, sort of the miracle you see kind of more toward the end. But at the time, you, you don't know what it's all adding up to. It's not something you intend. But one of the things in Columbus that's really famous, you often hear it, and I know Mayor Ginther mentioned it the other day, is the Columbus Way. And really, um, what I think has happened um, is we have really discovered an Ohio Way. We are all, meaning everyone at home and all of us here, and what the Columbus Way was really about is it's really led by businesses, much like the Lieutenant Governor is just saying, it really is this collaborative nature that we have, and it's all the sectors. It's, it's really the businesses, big and small, um, upstarts and new ones, and ones that are venerable that have been here forever. It's philanthropy and nonprofits, all our nonprofits and how they come together and things like in Columbus, it's called the Human Services Chamber, but how they across things get together, how our hospitals are working together in unprecedented ways, how, you know, philanthropy and then schools and all our different governmental functions that it's taking to do something in this. And then it's, it's people. It's all the individual citizens. You know, that's what that spirit is about. It, it really is that partnership of all of us that can move mountains. And, you know, when I started out, um, before I took this job, we were working on something called a flourishing concept, a flourishing framework. And that flourishing, this vision of all of us leading healthy lives and really being our best, most vital selves was something I brought into this job. And I created our mission statement for the Department of Health to be, you know, again, creating the conditions in which all people can lead flourishing lives and contribute to their full potential. And no matter who they are or where they come from, rich or poor, whatever community, that we all have something to give. And it is that vital spark. And, and something that Doug Kreidler, the CEO that you saw there at the end, had said to me, he shared with me this poster that I also keep nearby about the art of the possible. And it is that art of the possible spirit that is going to take us through this next, next phase we're going to go through together. And every one of us is innovating and creating new sparks. And for young people out there watching this, you know, each of us really is a spark. And, and whether someone sees it or doesn't see it, I've just already in this journey seen so many things made possible that were not possible before. And we will not be the same Ohio when this is over. There will be so many more things through the hardships that we're going through together that will be made possible by each and every one of us. And so I, I just really hope you'll let those sparks of yourself continue to shine, no matter who you are out there, whether it's our businesses and how they're going to solve the next things, whether it's our nonprofits who are rallying in new ways, our philanthropies, all of us coming together. Um, I know you're all donning those capes in big ways and small ways. And all of that together is going to be our way. It's going to be an Ohio way. So I'm so very honored, you know, really don't feel worthy, but I'm just honored to be a bit of the spirit in this long chain of spirit yet to come. Thank you. And first question. 
Hey, this is Molly Martinez with Spectrum News. My question is for Dr. Amy Acton. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. My question is, 77,000 tests have been conducted in the state, but um, we were told that only the sickest are getting tested. So does 9,000 confirmed cases, does that seem low? Were all of the other tests negative? Was it the regular flu or was it sort of some other illness? That's right, and we're trying to get numbers so that we can talk a little bit more about positivity rates, but we just don't have great data and a way to collect that yet. But that's going to be something we really look at. And of course, the more testing you do, um, the more negatives. Like we're testing people that are a little bit higher at risk, but we also know there have been some pretty at-risk people who have not been tested. But in our case, because we have a shortage all around the country, we've really tried. In the beginning, it was a little more wide open, right in those first days when we had drive-through testing. And there was sort of this thought that there was an endless supply, but we quickly learned that we were running out of all different components of the tests, some reagents, some cassettes. And so, you know, we had to have a way to say, if we have scarce resources, how do we best use them? And so we have three tiers of testing, and that should be on our website. But it was those highest risk people, people with really pre-existing health conditions, most often in a hospitalized setting. And as we move out through those tiers, we start to try to get testing, as you've seen, into our prisons and congregate settings. We have a whole plan. Um, we've been trying to get more testing into nursing homes. And you know we have over 75,000 people living in a nursing home or assisted living. Um, just alone. So just that high-risk population, if you think of it that way, um, there are some, like, and I'll give you exact numbers, but 750 like nursing homes, and there's a whole other 600 and some assisted living. And, and so as you try to think about how you can target high-risk folks, then you know that's how you do your testing. And yet, even when you're tested, it could be that you have the symptoms, but it's something else. Interestingly, in what the governor shared, which I think is very important, we've always heard now that up to 25% of people can test positive but be asymptomatic. It could be somebody at the beginning of their illness, but they haven't yet shown symptoms. One of the things we've learned now, looking backwards, is that just waiting for signs of a symptom is not who's contagious. And that's what makes this dangerous virus so dangerous because people like myself are walking around asymptomatic and just with our testing in the prison we've quickly seen that many of those prisoners weren't showing a temperature or symptoms. Similarly there are people right now who have allergy symptoms or having other illnesses, less and less flu all the time because we're starting to move out of flu season, but have something else and those will be your negatives even in those high risk populations. Um, very important, as I see you, Molly, wear, wearing the mask right now, um, you know, part of our campaign moving forward is going to be what I said early on is each of us should treat everyone, not in a scared way, but as the fact that we might be carrying it. Unless we've recovered, we might be carrying it. And when we look at wearing a mask, I'm protecting you. And when you're wearing a mask, you are protecting me. And as we move into these new phases, as we slowly, slowly walk our way back into life and watch very carefully how, you know, we don't have any spikes and then do a little more. Those masks and those social distancing, this, and washing our hands and all the other ways, keeping six feet, those are the ways that we're honoring each other because any one of us can be carrying something that we don't know.
Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, Jim Otte from WHIO-TV. Governor, this is a question for you. Happy Friday. Uh, between now and the return to normal here, whenever that happens to be, a lot of businesses and even public entities are going to be hurting. We found out in the last 24 hours that the Dayton International Airport will be laying off a couple of dozen people. That's even with the federal help. Um, those furloughs are going to be happening. Is there anything that you can do to help, and, and more importantly, in the long run, to make sure that there isn't any really long-term damage to those public entities? Can you do anything? Jim, that's a very, very good question. Um, you know, I've expressed um, my concern uh, to our two senators, Senator Brown, Senator Portman. Um, you know, we appreciated uh, the help uh, that is coming back to Ohio for, for individuals. Uh, one of the concerns we have is for local government. Uh, local government provides the basic services that we expect. Uh, is the government that is closest to the people. Uh, and when local government cannot provide basic essential services, uh, not only are the individuals hurt, uh, not only do we feel less safe, but it's harder for business to move forward. So as we look at Ohio's recovery, uh, business moving forward, uh, and, and that is a, as a goal and more people become employed, it's also very, very important that the basic services that support those businesses, that support all of us, uh, are not, uh, you know, totally uh, ravaged. And, and so in regard to, you know, if there's additional bill that comes out of, of Congress, uh, you know, I've expressed to, to them, our senators, uh, and to our congressional delegation that it's important that there be money there and there be discretionary money uh, that can be used by by the local governments to provide those those basic services. So have you, have you uh, that's on the think, airport issue, though. Uh, have I'm, you focused on the airport, though? I'm not focused on the airport. I mean, I tell you, Jim, probably the most important thing that we all can do is to do everything we can uh, to start get this economy moving forward. And the airport is is you know a, a direct. Um, took a hard hit for obvious reasons, and that is people were afraid to fly. Uh, and so the more we can do testing, the more we can get people confidence up, uh, the more places like the airports and the airlines uh, are going to be able to come back. Uh, but we, you can't do that without people having confidence. And so, so much of what we're talking about doing, what we will be doing, um, beginning May 1st, goes back to try to build those public's confidence that they can, in fact, go out. Um, and so some of this is going to depend on when, when we get abundant testing, uh, when, when we ultimately, of course, when we get a, a, a vaccine. So all of those things, you know, are going to come together, and certainly that impacts the, the airport, the airlines, and so many other businesses. Uh, good afternoon, Governor. Randy Ludlow with the Columbus Dispatch. Randy, I almost didn't recognize you. This is a new, uh, <laughs> you have a hat. What kind of hat do you have on there? This is, I can't the read dispatch. it. Dispatch. I should have been able, I just showed my eyes are bad. It, I can't it, read the dispatch. There it you covers go. my uh, balding pate. Right, it looks good. looks good. But that aside, uh, <clears throat> Governor, you said yesterday you would look at uh, uh, the state's refusal to release uh, the number yeah. of deaths from nursing homes. What have you concluded? And also, we have nursing home operators uh, 
telling us the state does not require the reporting of deaths. Why not? Let me put this, Randy, in, in and to say, first of all, we're still digging into it. I want to make sure I have all the facts. So I owe you an answer. I'm not going to give you the answer you want today, but I want to, I want to say a couple things. Uh, I'm a big believer in facts, a big believer in information. Uh, one of my goals as governor has been to get more facts out to us who have to make decisions, uh, but also out to the public, uh, because I believe that, that more information uh, results in better decisions, whether public policy decisions or individual decisions in life. So during the time I've been governor, we have increased. I don't have a list, but uh, we have increased the number of things that are re actually reported to the public, both from the health department and in other agencies. We're not there where we need to be yet. So that's one. Two, there is a consideration for people's privacy. And so we have an obligation to weigh that. That is a factor that always has to be uh, weighed in. Three, we don't control all the data. Uh, most of the information, just as an example, uh, for hospitals uh, has been by the hospital association. And because of this crisis, uh, coronavirus crisis, we have started pulling more data out from them. They've been very cooperative, but that historically has been data that they have they have held. Uh, so this is a work in progress. Uh, I owe you an answer, but those are three kind of basic principles or facts that uh, you know I wanted I wanted to mention. Um, some of these decisions are a public policy weighing decision about people's privacy. Um, you know, in general, I, I firmly believe that more information out is better. Uh, I owe you an answer. We'll have you an answer on Monday. Okay, quick follow. With, with 75,000 sure. people in nursing homes and assisted uh, living facilities, how does releasing a number identify a person? How, how do we what? How does releasing a number identify a person? Well, again, I'm not going to answer that today because I want to dig down on it. I want to look at the examples. I, I, I want to look at what the, frankly, Randy, what the historic policy has been and you know the historic policy has not been to release that. So again, we continue to push the envelope here. Don't mind doing it, but when, when there's been a policy that's been in place for some time, I've got to at least look at it and hear what people who advocate for a continuation of the policy. So I, I, I owe you an answer. I'll get back to you. Thank you. Kevin Landers, WBNS 10 TV. My question is for Dr. Amy Acton. Kevin. Hello, how are you? Good. Happy Friday. Congratulations on your award. Um, Dr. Acton, you've said for quite some time that we still don't have enough testing, we don't have enough PPE, we don't even know how prevalent COVID-19 is in our state. Given your concerns, does opening businesses with so much uncertainty is the best interest of the public, and what are your team, what is your team telling you about the risk of a second outbreak? Absolutely. So you know, all of the things that you just mentioned are absolutely true. Um, right now what we're seeing is that we have a flattened curve and that, you know, we're hanging pretty steady right now. I think, you know, and it's really important to be very realistic for the public. We have a journey ahead. We've often said we've won the first battle, 
But we know, as the governor also mentioned today, that it's, it's a long time until we have that vaccine in hand or potentially herd immunity where most of the population is now immune. So there's a journey between now and that time. We have a road to travel. And this is a road that is unprecedented. It has not really been traveled before, and this is that once in a hundred year pandemic. So I think what you see, and you see this in the, the president's plan that was released yesterday evening, but you see it in all the plans, and I've studied all of them. I've studied every recommendation made by anyone who has looked at this, and we're in constant conversation, is that this has to be done in a really responsible way and where we try to look at the best data that we have. I'd love to have tons more testing. I'm working on a workforce for ultimate contact tracing and we're building all of that as we get it. But each decision we make going forward has to be made with the best science. And it, as the Lieutenant Governor said, mm -hmm. we have to look at all aspects of all health problems and as a society we're going to have to inch our way forwards. So they're talking a lot as the governor and lieutenant governor said about a phased approach. So I do hope no one at home thinks like it's wide open May 1st going back to life as normal. It's really hard to hear that but we are not going back to six months ago. That, that's not the reality we all face. But we're building that new possibility of moving forward and we'll do that you know, in the best way possible, telling you everything we're doing as we're doing it. And I know that the Lieutenant Governor and Governor and I will be sort of revealing more of what our studies say. And that's why we're not saying we're going to do this exact thing yet, because even in two weeks, we have to keep watching what happens. There might be a new science advance that we're not taking into account yet. You know, two weeks ago we were talking about using serology and blood testing as a sign of immunity and that might have been part of our plan but we're not sure now two weeks later as the science comes out if that's the best thing to use. And so we're going to continue to evolve as the situation evolves just like the governor and lieutenant governor said with all all the best knowledge on the table. We've always been thinking even as we made these very hard orders there's no way to not think about its implications of having children out of school or having a small business close. And all the health and economic implications of that, these are unprecedented times. And it's really important that together, we really, really walk that way forward. The virus is still here. It is still a threat. It's even a threat to businesses because for a business to have an outbreak that is out of control can be, you know, death knell for a business. And so we're all working together to inch our way forward through this new, this new road that we'll all be traveling together. Thank you. Thank you. Jim Province with the Blade. Question for the governor. Hello, governor. Today, one of the inmates that you commuted was Tom Noe. Could you give us an idea of what kind of a message it sends to the public when the governor grants clemency to the central figure in Ohio, one of Ohio's biggest public corruption cases? And also, among the conditions, if there are any, placed on his release, does it do anything to try to get the roughly $13 million in restitution he still owes the state? Well, first of all, um we're never going to get restitution with him sitting in prison. Um, and that's one of the considerations. Um, 
I, I said before uh, that we were looking at people who had medical problems. Uh, we have an unprecedented situation with the coronavirus. Um, he has served, I believe, 13 and a half years. Uh, his prison record is spotless. Um, he will be supervised by uh, the parole authorities. And part of the condition is that he will have to start making restitution. Um, there was two people, as I said, there were seven different people. There's probably two people uh, of, of particular interest, and I'll tell you about the other one. Uh, you ask about the first. The other was Alexis Martin. Uh, she was 15 years of age when she committed the crime, uh, 17 when she went to prison. Uh, she is a child sex trafficking survivor. Um, she will be sent to an appropriate group home, and she will be under supervision uh, for an extensive period of time. Um, facts of her case are particularly, particularly uh, unique. Um, the ultimate decision under the Ohio Constitution is mine. Uh, buck stops with me. Uh, I t take responsibility uh, for any, any decision. Um, and these two individuals or, or anybody else. Uh, and the only thing I can say is that I take that responsibility extremely seriously. Uh, I think about it a lot. Uh, it made it, my opinion uh, that in these two cases uh, that these, this was appropriate uh, after the period of time that they had served in prison uh, to issue a commutation. That does not mean they walk away free. Uh, it means they're under, under supervision. Uh, Tom Noe, for example, has to report every six months, uh, has to have basically a debtor's exam about what money he has, where that money is, uh, and there will be a, an opportunity, we hope, uh, that he will be able to begin paying this money back. Uh, and that is certainly what, what we hope. Uh, but I felt uh, that enough time um, had passed, that he had been in prison for a long time. Uh, he did not commit. He committed a serious act, a serious act. Uh, he's been punished for it. And I felt that that was enough time. Does that mean that uh, you believe he was worthy of clemency even regardless of coronavirus? You know, it's kind of hard uh, when you dissect an issue, look at an issue, uh, decision you make. Uh, was I impacted with all of these individuals that we talked about, and I think I told you the other day, uh, that the coronavirus, you know, made us go look uh, at people who were over 60 who had a compromised uh, medical situation. So, you know, that was certainly part of, of the consideration that went into my decision. Thank you. Good afternoon. Laura Bischoff, Dayton Daily News. I wanted to get some clarity on some of the testing questions. Um, you know, you talk about the need for testing as a condition to going back to work. How will we know, when, like, how will we ramp up the testing capacity, and when will we know that we're, we're at that point? And then secondly, uh, DRC test results 
are about 76% positive, and uh, the testing of uh, everybody in the regular population is about 11% positive. Can you explain why there's such a drastic difference? Yeah, let me take the first one, and I'll reference to Dr. Acton. Uh, I can only tell you what the director has, has told me. Uh, they first started testing people um, who they thought were probably positive. Uh, they were not getting the reports back. Ohio State has been very, very cooperative and helpful, and this could not have taken place without Ohio State. So we are grateful for them. Uh, my understanding is, though, that the negatives were not coming back. In other words, what they were doing is, very understandably, as soon as they got a positive, they wanted to tell the prison this person is, is, is positive. Uh, I think the numbers will um, be more accurate uh, within the next few days. I think you'll see a change in, 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 those, in those numbers. The other thing, though, is you're dealing with a congregate setting. Um, you're dealing with a, with a place uh, where people are close together, and it should not be a surprise that once you get uh, COVID-19 in that space, uh, that among that group of people, that it would spread very quickly. That is, that is what it does. So I think we're, we're really kind of comparing apples and peanuts a little bit, but I think it's a very good question. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, those are the two things that I would mention to sh maybe shed a little light on it. Uh, I don't know if Dr. Acton, you have anything more on that, or yeah. you can take uh, Laura's other question as well. So we know that congregate settings are very, very high risk all throughout the country. And... Um, and so, you know, even if, if you right now, and, and Director Corcoran, I know, is going to be presenting more on this in, next week to come, but, you know, even when we're working up a nursing home, even if we have a few tests positive, we just assume it's there everywhere. Even when we haven't had the testing, I think you just have to assume it's there and then treat everything as such and then make all of your arrangements around that. So I think whenever people are together, it, it started out, if you remember, in Boston, it, it was the Biogen, I believe, conference. And in the end, when they looked at it, two people walked in, and days later, you know, 70-some people tested positive. This is a very infectious virus, and under the right conditions can really spread rapidly. My assumption is if you went into the general population anywhere where those kinds of groupings are possible, there are a lot of other congregate settings as well. You, you could see that kind of spread. Um, and again, w when we have enough testing, we're working right now, as we've talked about, on doing some um, surveillance where we go out into the general population and try to get that prevalence. And it'll be, I think those will be fascinating numbers. Um, when this virus, if you made invented a virus that was going to be your silent enemy, you can't see it. And so sometimes people don't even believe it's there, which is so hard. You know, you can't see your enemy. And it has the longest incubation period as possible. It sheds everywhere. Um, we're now learning that it can shed long after in some people. And, and it's very infectious, and it's asymptomatic. It spreads when you don't know you have it. And you might be one of those lucky people who ha don't have a lot of symptoms and shrug it off as a little bit of allergies or something. So we're seeing a whole spectrum with this. And I think our testing, as it becomes more widespread, will shed a lot more light on that. I, I, well, I, well, let me... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I haven't heard an answer to how we are going to ramp up testing yeah. capacity. Oh, ramp up. I'm sorry. And how are we going to know that we, we were there? Let, let, me, let me describe the, the, the problem as I see it as governor, because uh, I'm looking at 
this every single day and every single morning at 8 o'clock I'm getting a number of reports. One of them is on, is on testing. And so it is frustrating. Um, we have at least six of our major hospitals that have pretty decent capacity to do testing. Uh, but, and they're doing a lot of testing. But there's a couple different things that's holding them back and therefore holding us back. One is these hospitals uh, only get so much reagent uh, every single week. And so they're constantly looking at that, how much reagent they have, and they're measuring, okay, we can only do X number today. Uh, and until that supply increases, they're held down. The other thing that holds it down, and we've, we, I say we, everyone has started to, to, to fix, is where people are taking the test, where they're, they're taking the sample from the individual, uh, they don't have the swabs, or they don't have the tubes to put the swab in, or they don't have the liquid. So Ohio State and the health department got, got together, and they're starting either to produce these things or, or procure them and find them and ship them out to the smaller hospitals and to, to the other places around the state. So as I look at it, I kind of boil it down to those those component variable parts that are that are problems and uh, you know I, I'm gonna one of the things I'm gonna do um, is is you know today work on the reagent issue a little bit uh, again we're waiting for the FDA to approve other methods of coming up with the, the reagent and so I'm going to delve into that a little bit and see if we can move that up and make that go a little faster but those are the variables that is just holding us back on on this the, the, the quick tests uh, my understanding is they're just you know they're rolling them out but they're not rolling them out nearly as fast as we would like I don't know Dr. Yeah. Ackman, what Laura I'm sorry I didn't mean to avoid your question I think um, I was I've heard different things in that this is a nationwide issue um, it's one of the most frustrating things we deal with um, there it is being rationed I just want to make sure everyone knows out there it's not ODH rationing it. I, I just heard from a colleague in Dayton, a CEO of a hospital, um, that the rationing is happening federally. And I think what they're trying to do is fairly give out the limited supply across states. And I'm not quite, I mean, I think the governor is very interested in learning more about that. And, um, but there are many, many components. Um, and it's about scaling up. And we don't know the answer to how soon we will have more it's 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 not there's not a if it there is any part of this testing that we could make ourselves we've made it already we figured out a way to do it we've made swabs we have made the little viral media uh, that you put the tube in but doing it on a scaled way is really a solution that this country desperately needs um, it will make us much more effective at this next phase we go through which is identifying someone right away when they're positive and then isolating them and quarantining, and then going to everyone they, back to contact tracing, everyone they've been with, and isolating them. Because we know we're going to have these bumps in the road. We know we're going to have an outbreak in a nursing home, an outbreak in anywhere. And if we can't squash that and put that little fire out, those flare-ups, that will become a bigger and bigger community spread. So our whole goal moving forward is having every tool to keep those, those fires limited from spreading. So all the questions you're asking are right. All right, thank you. 
Adrian Robbins, NBC4, and my question's for Dr. Acton. Um, the White House's plan that they put out yesterday included gating criteria. Yes. Many people are looking at that and saying Ohio is not checking off those boxes, so how is it safe for Ohio to be opening up? Yes. Do you agree with the, that criteria, or is there a reason why Ohio shouldn't have to check off those boxes? No, I think, I think you brought up a great point. So. There are a number of things that in an ideal world you would like to have, and I've been on the phone with many of my colleagues in other states who are in the same position as me and, and, and are weighing all the things at their disposal. And, and so for those of you at home, what gating criteria means is having the ability to do that contact tracing I just said, having testing available. It's also seeing decreases in your numbers. Um, and a number of um, other measures that were in that White House report, like influenza-like illness tracking and surveillance. And nobody is going to be, the thing that is subtle in this is they're probably, when we did these orders to close down, we did it on a dime. And it was a miracle what we did, uh, especially in the Midwest here. We really, really flattened that curve. And it was kind of a blunt, not surgical instrument. What we're going to be doing in the days to come is going much more nuanced. We, we're going to be a little more subtle in what we do. There could be things within our existing, because the things that we've done are still components of it. But for instance, are there some things like a mammogram? I'm going to use that as an example. Are there anything we could do that would allow us to do some of, maybe some preventive health care that doesn't use PPE? And that could be done masked and socially distanced. And so we're going to like layer by layer go very nuanced into is there anything that we feel safe at moving forward on? And those will be the first things to happen if you think about it. And, and we won't rush because it would be very dangerous for us to rush. And that's why we have this amazing team of minds. You know, we didn't have a, you know, none of this existed when it happened. It was over a two-week period. But now we have the time to be super thoughtful and maximize everything, whether it's testing or any of the other gating things. So, but you are right, even the president's plan said, you know, you have to be really cautious. It, it would be a very false narrative in this country and a very dangerous narrative to just throw the doors wide open and give people a sense that you, that you can just go backwards to normal. That's unfortunately not a part of our reality. But what we're gonna do is maximize all we can do with the reality we have. Could, Thank could you I, and congratulations. Could I, add one, more, Thank could I you. add one more thing to that, please? And I said this in remarks. We've learned a lot. We've learned a lot from the experiences because there are many businesses, as Governor alluded to yesterday, who are operating in Ohio under the essential business practice, who have followed the protocols and been very successful uh, at, at creating safe workplaces for people. And, and it's those, it's, it's the combination, again, it's getting back to the, it's what we're learning here, what we're learning there that gets us to this point where we can feel we have more confidence that what we're doing uh, is a safer way than we otherwise would normally do it. And that is part of the, the building of the confidence that you hear through the, the, all of what we're saying here is that we learn, we get smarter, we build strategies around it, and then you can begin to, to allow more things to happen with those safe practices in place. And so that's how you get there. It's, we, we just know so much more now today than we did 40 days ago that informs these decisions and, and we'll be bringing more of them out in the rationale in the, in the days to come. 
Thank let me, you. Let me just add one more thing. There are, there are businesses out there today that were deemed, because of what they do, uh, what they produce, as is not essential. Um, or they didn't qualify to be essential. And, and But some of those businesses, their ability to protect their employees is the same as companies that are operating today. And so when we start looking at which companies start, we're going to find, we're going to look at least early on at ones that we can take the practices that have already been learned in the last few weeks and apply those to those companies. And we have no reason to think that they will be any, that they will not be safe for their employees. Uh, the same way companies that are over here making something else uh, that we have deemed to be essential, um, that what they're doing. So we think they'll be able to do the same thing. And as, as the Lieutenant Governor said, learn from, we learn from what has already been done successfully. Thank you. Hello, this is Ben Garbrick with ABC6 and Fox 28. My question is for you, Governor. Uh, so looking for some more clarification with your uh, order to reopen parts of the economy starting on May 1st. We've had some people asking for some, some more details. Will the state be approving which businesses can open? Will anyone be enforcing whether those precautions are actually being followed? And what would you say to employees who their employer may be reopening, but they do not feel that it is safe to go back to work or the precautions may not be yeah. enough? Yeah, this is going to be enforced by the employees and, and by uh, customers. Uh, customers by staying away, uh, employees by picking up the phone and calling the health department. Uh, so we've, it's no different than what is really going on today. Uh, we, we are seeing that today. Uh, health departments there, you have 113 health departments around the state. Obviously, they can't be everywhere all the time. Don't want them to be, not what's going to happen. But if you get complaints, they're going to go, they're going to go check it out. So again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. Um, good safety is good business and vice versa. And companies are going to have an economic incentive that, first of all, most businesses want to do the right thing anyway. And we've really seen the, the great effort that they have made, uh, those that have been deemed essential, and the great job that m many of them, most of them, have done. There's no reason to think that our businesses cannot do the same thing. Thank you. Good afternoon, Governor. Ben Schwartz with WCPO. Um, I want to ask, I know you are planning on laying out the state's plan to reopen in the coming days, but um, in the meantime, we have been getting a lot of questions from teachers who say they're getting mixed messages about whether or not schools will reopen this year. Um, I'm wondering if that's going to be a part of your plan, and um, if you don't see schools opening this year, what the plan would be if you've talked about it yet when that does happen. Yeah, well, we'll have more for, more of that then ne next week. I'm uh, on the phone uh, this weekend with some superintendents having some discussions um, about that. And so we'll have, uh, if you can bear with us for a couple more days, we'll have we'll have some answers early next week about about schools and where where we need to be going. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. Hi, it's uh, Andrew Welsh Huggins with the Associated Press, and this is for uh, Governor DeWine. Um, hi, Governor. Hi, Andrew. Um, sort of a follow-up to Adrian's question on the president's plan. I, I was just wondering, you, you earlier today 
call it a good plan, but could you drill down a little bit more on that? What do you think about the guidelines? What, what do you think is good about them? Uh, is there anything that you may push back on, especially if you think it puts too much of a burden on the state? And in terms of the phases that he's talking about, is, is May 1 a phase one opening for us? And if not, what's it going to take to get there? And then what would the time frame be in your mind for getting all of the way to that phase three reopening? Well, I think what, what's consistent with what the president said is that, you know, every state is different. Uh, and ultimately, it's the governor's responsibility. Um, and this is not just decisions that I make, obviously, in a vacuum. I make them in conjunction with it. Dr. Acton, Lieutenant Governor, but we reach out to a lot of people to make these decisions. And so we're seeing Ohio's economy hurt, obviously, as economies throughout the country have been. And so trying to get back to business where we can, how we can, uh, would seem to be make sense. And certainly, I think, is within the spirit of what the President has been talking about. But this is not going to be a walk out and you know, op open the door and, and we're all back to where we were because we can't go back to where we were. We can't go back to where we were until this monster is, you know, leaves our state. And that's not going to happen uh, probably until we have the vaccine and, and we can take care of it in that, in that manner. So uh, we start a process um, and we have a long, long way to go. But, you know, opening up some businesses that fit, that, that you know, the same kind of mold of businesses has already been open, and so where it's easy to transfer what we've learned, and then we look at that, and then we see how it's going. Uh, and it's not going to be overnight. Um, the challenge in all of this is that the data is, it's not that the data is behind, it's just that, you know, it's understanding facts. So in other words, if you look at hospital admissions, which is always a, a good thing to look at, You've you got to backdate that way, way back a few weeks to see when that person actually got infected. And then they got sick, and they got sicker, and then they got sick enough to go to the hospital. So the point is, when, when we loosen things up a little bit with new businesses coming in, uh, we are not going to know immediately what impact that has. And so that's why we, we have to be careful. We don't want to ever go back. We don't want to go Back, wake up one day and say, okay, our numbers are starting to go up, and now we have to pull back. I don't think business wants to see that. I mean, I've been told directly by small business that's the last thing that we want. Uh, once we start, we want to be able to continue to, to stay open. So, um, you know, I think what we're going to be doing is certainly within the spirit uh, of what the president is, is saying. Uh, he has, in his wisdom, uh, said that, you know, each state is different. And uh, governors and people advising governors are going to have to kind of chart your own course, and, and we're going to we're going to do that. We're going to be very very careful, uh, respectful of people's um, um, health as we as we as we roll this. So one one step at a time is what we're going to be doing. The president, even as he put out the report, has also now been tweeting at states um, individually and more generally, sort of telling states to pick up their testing and things like that. What are your concerns that that might undermine his own uh, report for governors? Well, I think that, you know, we're, we're working very hard every day uh, to increase testing. And there's nothing more uh, important uh, as we go forward and as we try to figure out how we can come back as a, as a state. 
that increase the testing. As I said, one of the, as I indicated a moment ago, one of our problems for our, our hospitals who are doing the testing is lack of reagents. And, and this, this does lie with the, um, the FDA. And so I'm going to make some inquiries and see if we can see exactly where, where that is and broaden the ability to make, to make uh, the reagent that is necessary. You know, if we had an unlimited amount of reagent, it wouldn't solve every problem, but it certainly would allow our institutions to uh, really ramp up the number. I mean, they've got capacity. Their capacity is out here, and they're here in what they're able to do every single day because they, they got a, the reagent is being really rationed. And while we've started making swabs and we've done other things in Ohio, uh, the reagent is a problem that we have to go to Washington and see, you know, with the FDA as far as the approval. So that's, uh, you know, it, the testing is vitally important, and we're going to continue to f fight this battle every day. And, and you know, I'm I'm the optimist. I'm convinced that you know we're going to have more and more testing. Uh, we just got to accelerate the rate of more testing. Thank you, Governor. Hello, Governor. It's uh, Shane Stegmiller with Hanna News Service. Uh, just following up on Ben's question, are you going to include any protections in your uh, guidance and orders to open up for employees whose employers are reopening, but maybe they're concerned about getting the virus, especially if they're in those high-risk categories? Yeah, I mean, the pr protection is, is going to come from, from that employee himself or herself. Um, you know, even with all of the protections that should be put in place, uh, employee is still going to have to make a decision. And if they have a health situation that puts them at particular risk, they're going to have to calculate that and make that decision. Uh, and that's one of the tough things about the world that we live in today with the coronavirus roaming large throughout our country. Um, and so, you know, an older employee, an employee who has a particular health problem, you know, what we encourage, obviously we're going to encourage companies to do uh, is to, you know, if that employee can work in a place where they have more protection, where they're not in contact with as many people, I mean, I already know companies where I've talked to that have done things like that. So this is going to have to be worked out on, you know, an individual basis. Um, and, you know, we would hope companies would be very uh, open to, to moving people around. Again, there's certain type of work that you can do from home. Uh, that work should continue. That, that, that should not end. If companies can have figured out, hey, you know, this, this type of work can be done from home just about as well as it can be done in the office, then, you know, we really want to encourage companies to do that. We would expect them to do that. So this is a delicate situation, uh, and it's, it, come, it will come down to that individual and, you know, how they approach it, what they know about their own health. Will there be an outlet for them if they have a complaint about their company? Yeah, I mean, the outlet is already built in, and we're, and we're using it, and we're hearing from them, and that is the local health department, because the local health department has the ability to go out. If the employee, for example, says, look, there's, there's, not, the, there's not the distancing that there should be, or whatever the complaint is, they can come out. 
Uh, what we're hoping and what we believe is going to happen is the vast majority of companies wanting to start up, wanting to do the right thing, wanting to be able to retain their employees, wanting to be able to attract more employees, will do all the things that they can to make that employee feel safe. Ultimately, that decision about safeness until we have a vaccine is going to be a decision that, that individual employee is going, to ha is going to have to weigh and make that decision and, as I said, try maybe to make a decision where that he, he or she could be put in maybe a, a, a safer position um, than even being in a company that's doing everything right. Thank you, um, Governor. Thank you. Hi, Governor. Andy Chow with Ohio hey. Public Radio, Television, State House News Bureau. Um, I know you said that you're going to have an answer on K through 12 next week. For parents who are out there, they've, they've relayed this message to us. They have concerns, even fear, about sending their kids back to school in two weeks. What message do you have for parents who are conveying that type of fear? Yeah, my, my, uh, my message, and we're not ready to announce it today. We're going to do it early next week. But my message to them is, Fran, I have eight children. We have 24 grandchildren. We get it. We understand. Thank you. Hi, Governor DeWine. Laura Hancock from Cleveland.com. Hi. Um, just wondering how you would respond. Your critics online are saying you folded to the people who were like, we need to open now. Well, I would, I would just ask them to watch what I do uh, and watch what the state does uh, and watch how we do this. And if you know they have every right to think that what we're going to what we're doing is wrong, uh, but we have been throughout this. We have been exceedingly mindful of human life and protecting the people of the state of Ohio. Uh, since the day I took office, that's been my number one concern. How do I protect the people of the state of Ohio? It is an ascent, the essential function of government is to protect people and to do everything that we can to do that. Government does a lot of different things uh, and sometimes maybe things that it shouldn't be doing or more than it should be doing in some cases. But I think what we can all agree on, uh, whatever party, whatever, our, where we are on the political spectrum is, central function of government is to protect people. And so for anybody who's, you know, concerned, just watch what we do. And, and, you know, if you think what we're doing is wrong, let us know. Let the news media know. Uh, but watch, watch how we do this. Uh, we're going to do it with the same respect for life, uh, with the same respect for our fellow Ohioans than we've, that we've done and everything else we've done throughout this, from the time that we halted uh, the Arnold Classic uh, and we were the first state to really halt a major event uh, all the way through today. Watch what we do. Thank you. Hola, Governor. This is uh, Luis Gill with Ohio Latino TV. And this question is on reference of, uh, you know, going to the new phase, uh, business start to open, particularly into restaurants. Um, seems like if employees are going to start policing the owners and starting to make decisions, and the owners have to do the best they can to do the protocol, how is the state going to handle multiple violations when they're getting phone calls? Are they going to go into more educating the owners of the restaurants or more into enforcing something that there's not clear cut how they're going to handle these situations? 
Well, I think always, even before the coronavirus, um, customers, uh, employees have always been able to blow the whistle on something that they think is a, is a health problem. Uh, restaurants live and die by their reputation of being safe places to eat. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's just it's been enhanced. Now we have an, an additional thing to, to all the other uh, safety things that restaurants have to do to make sure the food is good and, and, and wholesome and is not dangerous is added to the coronavirus. So those protections are going to be there just like they have always been there. And that mechanism is going to be there. The local health department that's always been historically very involved in, in restaurants. I mean, the health department has usually not been too involved necessarily in a hardware store, but in a restaurant, they're always in, in, in involved. So when we get to the restaurants, and we're not there yet, but when we get to restaurants, then that's going to be, again, the enforcement mechanism as it has always been. And including the social distancing and the, sure. you know, wearing masks and yeah, so on. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's going to be different. You're going to walk into a restaurant and, you're, it's, you know, your waiter your waiter's going to have a mask on. And uh, you're going to see, you know, that table in the corner uh, may still be there, but, you know, you're going to be not too close to anybody else. And yeah. so, you know, the, the business plan of these restaurants is going to have to change and they're going to have to figure out how they can make it uh, by having those changes. And, you know, the ingenuity of American small business is always great. And I think they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. But much more challenging. And again, this is not forever. Yeah. You know, this is until we get uh, a, a, a vaccine. So this is for a period of time that we're going to have to live with this. After that, we hope we can get back to normal. So, sounds a little leniency there there will be as we go on. Look, I mean, it's going to be up to the local department how it's enforced, and, and you know, they're going to enforce it, we hope, in a very reasonable way. So. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. This is Jackie Borchert from the Cincinnati Inquirer, and I've been told on the last question. Um, I, I've heard from some readers who are questioning a decision to move into this next phase when we're still seeing some, some pretty high numbers, even though it, maybe we're not peaking, peaking, but we're plateau peaking, uh, seeing these, these numbers coming in, can you explain that disconnect and why you feel confident we'll be able to move into that next phase on May 1st? Well, because we're not switching, that's a good question. Thank you very much. And I know some people are asking that. I mean, again, it's interesting. I told you about my conversation with Bill Cunningham. Some people are over here, some people are over here. Uh, we're trying to get it right. Uh, and we try to do that, do that every single day. Doesn't mean we get it right every day, but we try. Uh, look, it, it, it's time to look at businesses that can come back and where people can be safe. It will, by definition, by our definition at least, take a while for this whole process to take place. It is not going to occur overnight. And the next resistance I'm going to get, I'll guarantee you, is people say, well, how about me? Why can't we open up? So that's going to be the push. But we got to set a date and we got to start moving in that direction. But at the same time, we're reading numbers every single day. We're doing everything that we can uh, to know exactly where we are. And if it's time to pull back and stop the expansion, we will do that and we will not hesitate to do that. And maybe Dr. Axon can um, also follow up what numbers you will be looking at as you're considering those types of decisions. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at the same numbers. I mean, we're looking at, we're looking at hospital, and Dr. can jump in here. I, I see our time is almost up. But 
we're looking we're looking at hospitalizations for example I, I look at those numbers every single day uh, that tells us you know that's a that's a firm figure um, and that tells us where are we going are we going up or are we going down then we look at the five-day average yes and and you know doing this prevalence study when we can get this done will help us calculate some other things we're also looking at something called R naught which is sort of a reproduction rate infectivity um, again, none of these numbers are perfect, unfortunately, because we just don't have enough data to put to calculate. But um, it is looking at cases. It's looking at influenza-like illnesses and other forms of surveillance. It's definitely, you know, you want to see that you're on the decline and you want to see that um, basically you're looking for signs that we're having community spread. And um, so, so there are a number of numbers. Um, I've asked my team to kind of dig even deeper and say what other indicators could we have. You saw some in the president's. Um, uh, I've, there are many, many um, guides to this. So we're trying to look at what can we realistically follow um, in Ohio. So, so we will share more of that as, as we unveil the plan further and further over the next couple weeks. We'll, we're going to try to get the very best sort of indicators. Thank you. Thank you. Well, because we're not doing a, a press conference uh, this Sunday, uh, let me recognize all those Ohioans of the Orthodox uh, Christian faith uh, who will be celebrating Easter this weekend. Uh, this year will be different as we obviously continue to observe social distancing while celebrating uh, Easter. Uh, April uh, is the month of the military child, a month to recognize and pay tribute to military families and their children for the daily sacrifices that they make. Ohio is proud to be home to more than 33,000 children who have military connections. Uh, today is Purple Up Day across the state of Ohio to recognize the military child. We thank the children of military parents uh, for all that you do, uh, and we are so appreciative of the service of all Ohioans who are part of our armed forces. Uh, let's now take a look at some of Ohio's military children. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hi, my name is Ian Maple. I'm a senior at Hillary Davidson High School, um, and my dad is Rob Maple, a chief warrant officer for the National Guard uh, Engineers Division. Um, what it means to me to be a military child, uh, in one word, would be honor. Um, I feel great honor in everything my dad does for his job, for my family, and for the country in general, everybody in between. Um, and I think that every single serviceman or woman is doing absolutely everything they can. Um, and I take great honor in living in the United States for that reason. Purple up, we're in this together, Ohio. Thank you very much. That was great. Uh, we'll see you all uh, unless something unforeseen comes up. Uh, we'll be back Monday at 2 o'clock. Thank you.